Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2018. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Dom. And a guest. Serena, hi! Yay! Hi, Serena. Hi. Yeah, you're only our second guest on this podcast. Oh, that's accurate, yes. Yeah. Being my spouse did not get you first in line, I'm afraid. <laughs> wow. But we did warp this entire episode around you because we are doing a Back to the Future fanfic by request. Mm. Before we talk about the fanfic, could you tell us about your relationship with Back to the Future? Sure. I was definitely obsessed as a kid, and number three was my favorite, and I watched it over and over. I had the official VHS for number three. (laughs) I had the unofficial ones for one and two. (laughs) Weird bootleg editions or something? Something like that. Record (laughs) off the TV or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they played those movies on TV a lot. I remember they played number three on the TV the most, which is why I feel like I've seen it the most, but I really liked it, too. Why number three? I just liked the, I don't know, the Wild West. Like, I grew up in California, and, like, I don't know, it's just, like, sort of romantic, and then, like, the love story. and They, they filmed most of it in, in uh, California and parts of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, actually, the, the mall that the ha- that happens in all of those Back to the Futures was, like, really close to where I grew up. Like, oh, really? My mom oh. pointed out that she had been to that mall. Yeah. And that was in, like, Northern California? or uh, Like, Bay Area. Bay Area, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about the other two of you? Did you have any feelings towards Back to the Future in particular? I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where I was at. I had never even seen the third one until I watched it with Serena. Really? But I enjoyed it more than I was expecting because I, like, I feel like growing up, I just thought it's set entirely in the past. And <laughs> what's the point of the time travel? Because it's going to be a set piece. But it was a pretty well put together movie. It's not like they didn't time travel enough in the other two movies. Well, that's true. I mean, it was a set piece in the first and second movies as well. Yeah. Um, I I, I really this wasn't the westerns, I guess. I really liked the first one growing up, and the time travel was the whole point. Was like he messed up his parents' meeting, you know, and like that's such a classic thing. And I think it's kind of hard to know because we have so many pieces of media influenced by that same plot device, mm-hmm. like the scope of it like how original that would have been at the time that it first came out because I have a hard time even picking my pieces of media that use the same plot device apart but I loved it as a kid I thought it was so interesting the chart where he plays Johnny B. Good on the electric guitar I was I thought it was adorable I really thought um who, who plays Marty oh my god Michael, Michael J. J. Fox was so cute at the time I'm glad you said Michael J. Fox because I was about to say Michael J. Scott <laughs> because I had some of the office wires crossed in my head <laughs> maybe also a lot of great Scott yeah great Scott well in terms of Back to the Future 3 I was very happy when I went looking for Back to the Future fanfic to find out there's quite a lot of it and enough of it that I was able to just pick a Back to the Future 3 based fanfic <laughs> And, like, a pretty good one. I mean, or well-regarded. It's um, This is by Mary Jean Holmes. The fanfic is called A Stitch in Time. It was written in 1992 and published in 1993 originally as a fanzine by, I guess, Alverin Press, and then revised in 1999. This author wrote in multiple fandoms, but did a lot of Back to the Future. And everything that she wrote on a PC she later put up as a PDF on her website, Mm. which is why this was so accessible, uh, even though it was originally fanzine-formed form. Uh, Apparently, earlier fanfics she had done on, like, a Commodore 64 and couldn't convert it properly. 
Mm. Has internet killed wow. the fanzine? I feel like it has. Yeah. Just like video killed the radio star. Less popular song, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there's still zines, right? Yeah, right? Torn? There's zines. We just had... We literally talked about the Portland Zine Symposium in one of our episodes. Right, but there are zines auto. there? Like <laughs> yes. actual physical there zines? zines? You're not just sharing but links? But I wouldn't say they're fanzines. I would say they're mostly comics, like we spoke about before. So I do think zine, and also like informational zines. So I do think zine culture has changed. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of fan fiction. There were no fan fiction zines there. I will say that. Hmm. I've seen a few fanzine projects put together by like the Udna fandom at one or two points or Sailor Moon fandom. But whenever they do that, they also just release it as a PDF online. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a great way to spread it further. I, I do think print culture has definitely changed. Just There's still a, a small, loyal print culture following. But I, I feel like it's more centered around art now because art holds up better being reprinted a lot of the time or being, you know, with risograph printing and stuff. Text you can throw up on the internet and it's still the same text. Right. Now, usually I pick a fanfic that I have some specific reason to think might be good. Mm -hmm. In this case, the author is well-regarded, but I just picked this one because it's... uh, I grabbed something that featured Clara Clayton prominently and was a reasonable length. And so I didn't get a... It's not a specific recommendation for this fanfic. Is Clara one of your favorite characters? Me? I saw Back to the Future for the first time like a year ago. (laughs) You seem to be looking at me. What about you, Serena? Yeah, I thought she was cool. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this fanfic made me think she was even cooler than I remember her being as a kid, you know. She's given she's more pretty, to do. She Not that she didn't have anything to do yeah. in the third movie, but, like, uh, she's one of the two main characters, and Marty is not in this fanfic, Yes, right? Marty's not a character. Very interesting. So she kind of plays um, the sidekick more. But she's actually also, yeah... Maybe the main character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably shared credits. Mm-hmm. Should we jump into the content? Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. All right. So, remember how, I'm sure everybody listening has seen Back to the Future Part 3, right? Mm-hmm. We always just kind of assume that. It was on TV all the time. Like, get with yeah. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you did. <laughs> um, remember how, at the end of the movie, Clara Clayton and Emmett L. Brown are left back in the past? And then they just kind of show up back in Marty's present at the very end of the movie in, like, a time-traveling train with, like, two offspring. Yeah. And I, it had never clicked to me, but obviously that's a huge, fruitful ground for fan fiction because they must have spent, like, seven years in the past with, like, no description of their activities. Well, they do mention they've been to the future already. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> There's another fan fiction. And the author also kind of explains that tidily in this a little bit. Actually, I think it's an IDW comic. <laughs> oh, well, I think Back to the Future continuity gets pretty convoluted if you start doing the spin-off stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not like it wasn't already. This fanfic picks up pretty much right after the main action of the movie when Marty gets back to his present. So it's 1885. It's, what is it, Southern California? I don't know, California somewhere? Somewhere in California. Same city. Yeah, yeah Hill Valley, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's also where the... Oh, no, that's Sweet Valley. The Sweet Valley Twins. Well, books. they also mentioned Dawson's Creek, which made me laugh, but I don't know <laughs> if they were referring to the same Dawson's Creek. Uh, 1992, like, were they? Tongue-in-cheek, maybe? 1990. I don't know. Oh, yeah, so they probably were. Is yeah. Dawson's Creek have a creek named Dawson's Creek? Because I remember the main character's named Dawson, so I don't know. The creek was named after him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's 1885. Basically, it's just after Clara and... Da- I-, I can't call him Emmett. The fanfic calls him Emmett. 
he's yeah. just Dr. Brown. Yeah, Doc Brown. Doc Brown, right, to me. Yeah, Clara, but it's, it's trying to be more personal. Yeah, them. And we'll yeah. call him Emmett, like, like a good friend. Clara and Emmett were left back in the past, and they're, you know, in the middle of a romance. And, like, the first main action is that there's a harvest dance, and it, it's raining, and they're kind of rained out, and they sh- take shelter in Doc Emmett. I'm going to work my way up to it. <laughs> Doc Brown Smithy. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of our first big conversation between them, leading into a proposal. How did you guys feel about that? Huh. <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, uh, they've only known each other a few weeks at this point. Yeah. So it was a little surprising, I would say, that there was a proposal. Because this, this takes place right after the end of the last movie. Yeah, pretty much immediately. Like, they, they describe... I forget exactly what the time frame is, but... It's like a week later or something. Right. Well, and they specifically mentioned that they haven't known each other very long at all. Right. But, you know, a different time, I guess, is, is the theory. Um, and also the movie demonstrated clearly they were in love. But yeah, it is oh, yeah. quite surprising that he proposes so suddenly. And she's like, oh, of course. Yeah, well, I was asking mostly because I thought the scene was cute. I don't oh. know. If oh, anybody, it is. <laughs> I don't know if it struck anybody else specifically so. I mean, it's not uncute. Do you want to give us a, a little bit of the highlight yeah. of that cute scene, Amato? Absolutely. I will read that portion. Yes, it was agreed that no oh. matter how long it took. <laughs> wow, that's our first honor appearance of your reading program. Well, it wasn't supposed to do that, but oh well, there you go. I, should step up I guess my mind. reading program can do it for us. All right. Here's Emmett's proposal. I got there. He stopped and swallowed in an attempt to put his voice back on track or to loosen up his throat or something. He might have felt as awkward as a schoolboy, provided he had ever felt this awkward when he was a schoolboy. He tried again. Clara, would you marry me? Yes. Really, Emmett, someone ought to teach you the correct way to use a needle and thread. Half your shirts are missing a button or two. Or three, and the ones still there must have used half a spool to hold them in place. He blinked, not sure he'd heard right. He touched her arm to guarantee he had her attention this time. Did you hear what I said? She looked up and smiled. Certainly. You asked if I'd marry you, and I said yes. Her eyes flicked back to the shirt she was holding, which, from the looks of your wardrobe, may not be a moment too soon. And it goes on like that. She's, like, teasing him. Like, it's it's fine, because before yeah. that, it, they're just having a conversation, and yeah. they, she doesn't break the flow of the conversation. Yeah, she rolls with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they get some of the main possible objections to the pairing out of the way pretty quickly mm-hmm. where for one thing he's like I am very old and she's like I don't care <laughs> yeah. and also she tells him without him needing to ask I'm not just marrying you because you traveled back in time to save my life which yeah. you know is a reasonable concern yeah, sure yeah. <laughs> yeah, might feel a sense of obligation it was funny too how they specified their ages that he was like 30 years older than her or something over 30 years older than her and he's supposed to be 67 I didn't necessarily read mm-hmm. him as like, he has white hair in the movie, but I didn't necessarily read him as in late 60s in the movie, but it's hard for me to recall. And I thought I read her as a little bit older, like maybe 40. Older than, like, 30s? I don't, I don't about remember, that. is the thing. Maybe my interpretation of ages was different. Serena might remember better. I don't really remember. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so they supposedly have a 30-year age difference, which is a little bizarre, but considering she's at least in her 30s. What's so. half his age plus seven? Let's work this out. Okay. <laughs> So you, you know, like that's not really how that works, <laughs> I would say. But, you know, no, someone no. in their 30s, I think, if they... That, that's that, pretty much... 40, I think? Yeah, 40. Well, whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll give it a pass. It's past the point where age becomes that sort of manipulation well, they tactic They mentioned her age me. in the epilogue. 
Oh, but did she? Did that they, she's 40, 40 in the epilogue. She's but 40 that, in the epilogue. But that's, oh, that's a few, that's some years, years later. Like seven years later. Be more like seven 30, years later. So, so, so early she 30s. should be 33 then, or yeah. early 30s. That's so. kind of my impression. Right. Like she wasn't like a young, brand new school mom type. Right. But yeah. she wasn't just, She wasn't very close to Doc Brown's age. No. But she wasn't, I mean, I guess she's relatively young. 33 mm-hmm. is young. So we get our main romance out of the way pretty quickly. I don't know why I said it that way. And then (laughs) the main plot of the fanfic, the main um, conflict, is that the author introduces a new antagonist. Uh, Biff's ancestor having been gotten out of the way. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Buford. McCree. Yeah. Yeah. Him having been gotten out of the way in the movie, and we don't need to go back there. What were your thoughts about this new antagonist? Anyone want to describe him? Well, he's he's a dandy, yeah. and he wants to marry Clara, and he's arrogant. He, yeah. He's kind of an archetype. Yeah, the summary of the fanfic calls him. Oh, so it's Prescott R. Osgood, which is a Osgood is a pretty good name there. The summary of the fanfic calls him star reporter for the Hill Valley Telegraph, chairman of the school board, intellectual and social snob, and all around insufferable egomaniac. Mm-hmm. And I thought he felt like a Back to the Future antagonist. Yes. In that he's pretty much an, a petty, shitty person mm-hmm. completely all the way through. Or they're just also, sort of a, exaggerations of high school bullies. Yeah, yeah. that too. Yeah. And also comically inept, despite right. thinking that he has this great aptitude. It was like almost too, it was too much in many ways, <laughs> but very Back to the Future. Yeah, and likewise, no matter what horrible things he does, the comeuppance for a Back to the Future antagonist is usually social humiliation, mm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rather than being, like, locked up or, you know, falling off a cliff and dying or Which whatever. Which is so satisfying for this character, can I say? <laughs> well, yeah. You just really want to see him get embarrassed because he's so full of himself, and they set that up really well, mm-hmm. so. So it felt very Back to the Future. And that's, like three-fourths of all the characters that matter in this fanfic because Seamus McFly is still around and he's kind of a supporting character. And then everybody else is a bit player. Right. So it's a pretty small contained uh, cast. Uh, that always kind of bugged me in the movies that they just threw a mustache on Michael J. Fox. <laughs> That's why it's oh, so yeah. great because oh, it's the exact same person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 Michael J. Fox did an okay performance, but I don't think he really transformed into the new character, you know? <laughs> well, he had the accent, though. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, they could have gotten something that looked vaguely like him or something. That that'd be all right, I think. I I think it's really funny. That Probably would exactly have been easier to shoot too. Oh uh, yeah, true. <laughs> I do not remember. Is his wife the same actress as plays Jennifer? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, that no. plays his mom. Oh, plays his Isn't mom. Isn't it? No. Wait, am I that wrong? would be too weird. I don't remember. They, they reuse the actor either way. Was it someone? <laughs> yeah. So, but it would be super weird if she looked like Jennifer because Jennifer's not supposed to be related to right. him. Right. That's why I thought it was the mom. I thought it was the mom. That would make more sense. But that that's also equally weird. You're right. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's someone separate. Oh, gosh. It wouldn't be Back to the Future without much. weird, almost incestuous <laughs> implications. Mm. So this guy, Osgood, he's been out of town for a week doing some socially thing, I forget, like some reporting or something. Oh, yeah, he's a reporter, they said. And that's just like a way to explain why he like wasn't around for the main action of the movie. But he comes back. And he, we had introduced him in a kind of overdone internal monologue where he's like, everything must be perfect, and I'm at the perfect time in my life to take a perfect wife. And the perfect wife is the 
highly educated East Coaster person who just moved into town, which yes. is Clara Clayton. And so he sets his... Because he's from the East Coast, too. Yeah. And he, he wants, mm-hmm. the, like, that. Absolutely. Like, he was definitely a member of an acapella group yeah. in his, like, East Coast college. <laughs> oh, God, you just know it. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> if that existed in, like, 1875 or whatever. Probably I imagine most of those institutions but... are the exact same now as they were then in um, 1800s. You have to imagine. Yeah. Same mm-hmm. outfits and everything. Yes. Um, and so he starts bugging Clara, like to spend time with her mostly initially as like his role as the school board head or I don't know, he, he, he basically invites her out on date and stuff. But it's also very obvious that he's coming on to her. Oh, yeah. And it's also pretty funny too because they address specifically that he's considered her friendship with Emmett and is like, oh, but he's too old. He's never thought much of it beyond a grandfatherly relationship to her or something is what he, yeah. is what he, he says. he writes it off, he's like, well, he, just he writes was... It off. She I was the first that, person though. to mention, welcome him into town or something. So they, but clearly there's nothing there. I, yeah. And despite I love the way that, that they were dancing with each other all through the harvest yes, dance. Yes, <laughs> It's like always despite this and despite this, clearly nothing. I love that that immediately kind of introduces you to his personality. Mm-hmm. That he's just kind of in denial. That's just his personality. It was kind of a good way to introduce that. Now, Clara and Emmett are trying to keep their engagement secret for a hot second. Because one of the... Uh, character through lines in this fanfic is that Clara suffered a lot of social humiliation herself back in her home back east because her sister ran off with her fiancé. Is that from the movie? I do not remember I think that. So I don't think they address that in the movie. You know why I don't she's remember like out that. There. I, think, I yeah. didn't think so no, either. No, I think that's just new information. Okay. But so she kind of wants... I don't remember it. No. Even though she doesn't really want to be a part of, like, the circle of wives in the town, she also wants to, like, remain respectable, just, like, not be the subject of gossip again. But they're not really able to keep it secret for very long. And one of the reasons is that when Osgood is bugging her, like, she kind of has to be like, uh, look, I, I just got engaged. So I would love to go on a date with you, but uh, I'm engaged to Doc Brown, to mm-hmm. Emmett Brown. And Osgood, just as a total topical, um, pushy male of our Me Too times, is like, I don't see a ring on your finger. And she's like, I, I am engaged to him. But he does not accept that at all Mm -hmm. and abuses his power as chairman of the school board, which incidentally he's going to be for like two more weeks before the elections happen. He just kind of fell into the role because he was running unopposed for like a vacant position. Um, But he's chairman of the school board for now, which makes him her immediate superior Mm. because that's comfortable. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually kind of shocked that he didn't exploit that further. Like, later on when there's, like, the scene with just the two of them out alone, like, Mm. I expected him to put more pressure on her because of that sort of power imbalance and having to give in to him. He puts quite a bit of pressure on already, though. Like He does. But but I know what you mean. He, He, like, tries to remain within the realm of, like, plausible deniability about, like, this could be something reasonable he's doing, Mm -hmm. rather than being like, hey, I could fire you. Right. Right. FYI. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that, like, he, he almost seems like, despite kind of, you know, obviously being this conniving and manipulative, manipulative person... He still needs to remain respectable, and mm-hmm. he's always aware of what he could do to put himself outside of the line of propriety. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he's polite to her out of a sense of propriety, because he's not a decent dude, but he's no. like, no, but I can't press my advantage because that wouldn't be polite. 
Well, it wouldn't be polite, and also one of the character and traits that comes to play over. Yeah. He, he, well, kind of, kind of. But also, yeah. he's cowardly, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I can see why he would want to. Yeah, he, he's that's not a good big point. on taking risks, right? He likes setting yes. up things that are more completely controlled. And yeah, he takes these crazy risks at the end. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I feel like that was edge. his his character change. To be honest, though, I wish I'd, I almost wish I would have worked out better for him. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Right. Not better for him, but yeah. Would have meant more. I don't know. We'll get to that and then I can talk about you it. You wish only good things for the character of Prescott R. Osgood, right? Of I wish he had oh, yeah. <laughs> wish he and Clara would have gotten married and had happy lives. No, seriously, he's really terrible. No, the he's author's, super terrible. The author's trying to write him terrible and she succeeds. Mm. And so one of the, the main way that he inserts himself into things is that um, Clara and... Um, and Emmett, trying to like set up more time to hang out with each other, kind of decide to have a week of cool science field trips and science experiments, guest starring uh, Emmett in the school room. And Prescott, both as reporter for the Hill Valley Telegraph, is like, oh, I should totally come in and write an article on the paper, in the paper, for the interesting, innovative new things you're doing. Slow news day. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It's a tiny town in California in 1885. What are you going to write about? I mean, if you're a reporter in that time, how long before you just start making up stories? Because <laughs> like, no, no one can fact check this stuff, you know? True. <laughs> True. And yet, it doesn't seem like he's really doing that. I don't no, know. because in the classroom, he makes it very obvious that he's not even taking notes or yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. He's just leering at Clara. Yeah, mm-hmm. between a combination of like, I'm a reporter and I should report, and... I am the chairman of the school board, and I should be yeah. knowing what's up. He, like, inserts himself into tagging along or observing all of the lessons. And, like, it's the most Clara can do to, like, keep it at that. And she's like, okay, fine. You'll stay in the back. You can observe. Do not disrupt my classroom. I am the teacher. And he's like, oh, oh of course, of course. I mm-hmm. wouldn't dream of it. It's like, you can come on the field trip. Stay in the back. Do not say anything. And he's like, I, I'll be the sole of propriety. And, of course, he isn't. Yeah, and it's. I think it's really funny, though, because it's unclear, like, he keeps making bumbling errors, and it's unclear yeah. how much of this is, like, impulsive, like, how much he really intended to maybe try to write an article, or how much he really just, like, wanted to do these things. Like, it seems like he acts on impulse very often, and doesn't have a very yeah. firm plan. Yeah. Which I all find kind of ironic. Up a lot. <laughs> I find that all ironic in how they set up the character, though. They set him up as if he had had this, like, super successful, like life within the lines mm-hmm. up until this point and so like what is he just now letting loose or like did mm. he like leave that reputation behind and I he, think he yeah. just like My, the implication I got is that he has always been like this but he's coasted on privilege of every kind and so he nobody else thinks he's so perfect but he mm. has been able to dis, like live his life in such yes. a way that he thinks huh. so and so for example it, it happened several times in the fanfic that like Clara's strategy, or their strategy at some point is like, throw him a bone and maybe he'll shut up for a little while because he'll feel really smug about it and satisfied mm. with himself. Nah, it and that works. It, it works temporarily, <laughs> but only very temporarily. And it's, so, like, I imagine yeah. there's been a lot of that in his life. Yeah, like, he's very uh, delusional, like, about his his own abilities and status. Mm. It's, it's kind of sad because, yeah, it's like 
You write a motto. Everyone throws him a bone. He's like, oh, yes, it's confirmed that I am great. And then he's <laughs> just like, all right. Of that Twilight Zone episode, right, where they're all catering to that terrifying little boy. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the one that comes to the mind like cornfield. Uh-huh, that's the worst that one. The one? Yeah. Oh. yeah, it's like that's how, he, that's how he grew up, right? He was the <laughs> yeah. boy who them to the cornfields. It seems to me like an 80s comedy villain sort of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. High society thing, but by the end of the movie, it gets more and more unsprung, and like his hairpiece has fallen off. It's all <laughs> flustered. That's definitely the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the, the vibe. archetype. The vibe, the procession. And like the first the first major thing in that, we, we've been talking vague terms, but they go on a field trip. Like so that's kind of their first special science day out into like the swampy woods and it's just to look at plants, like fine plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Seamus McFly is driving them in the wagon. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Brown turns out to be a very engaging lecturer. He's like talking to the kids about plants all the way there. And they're and like even Prescott is kind of interested in what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole series of Osgood feeling like he needs to do something to impress Clara. Because, like, she's engaged, but in his mind, it's like, I've got this window of opportunity, even though he doesn't. Right. And so he feels like he can't just be around. He needs to, like, do something dramatic and awesome. And so he keeps doing progressively more dumb, terrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, just sort of, like, trying to help her and knocking things over and, like, getting too close to her, like, even beyond the bounds of propriety. And when she, like, s- tells him off for that, she kind of, like sends the kids away and then like bites his head off about him like what does he even do like he puts his hand on her like shoulder or something leaning over way too close to like help her with some equipment and it's like totally not cool and you know her patience ends at that point but feeling wounded from that he goes off and he's like he falls into quicksand which doesn't even exist but it totally exists in the kind of story that Back to the Future is, right? Yes, but then they even say it's not real quicksand, but perhaps some rotting vegetable mixture. That right. They have some other pseudoscience explanation for you know, what he's fallen into. One of the famous swamps of California. Yeah, yeah. obviously. <laughs> Maybe it was the Brea Tar Pits. And, and there was even a whole little plot thread where he had overdressed for this. So, of course, the overdressed insufferable snob, you want to drop into a pile of rotting vegetation and have him lose his shoes. And there's shoes. just something so satisfying about that, yeah. too. I really, well, like, the writer's done a good job making you, that You do slapstick satisfying. with the most serious character, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You don't have someone well. who, like, can laugh at themselves upon a banana peel. Mm-hmm. You have someone who takes themselves way too seriously to it. Well, it's someone who also really deserves it. And I also love that they use, like, this is a little tangential, but often Clara and Emmett will poke fun at Osgood's expense and he mm-hmm. won't fully get it. And the author uses the expression puckishly so often. <laughs> like, you know, Clara smiled puckishly as she was, like, teasing Osgood in a way that he couldn't mm-hmm. fully understand, which I haven't heard very often, but I know what it means. It means, you know, like Puck from in Shakespeare. From what yeah, Gargoyles, yeah. yeah. Uh, from Gargoyles, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Sorry, I can't keep with the real threads of this. I feel like one of the ways the author sells Clara and Emmett is that they kind of have a shared sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And one of the weird other dynamics in their relationship in this fanfic is that they take turns getting completely fed up with Prescott Osgood and the other oh. person having to restrain them from just, like, punching them. <laughs> yes, and it's kind of like an unspoken agreement between the two that they trade this off and they support each other. This, yeah, they don't state it explicitly, it, but they keep trading that role just based on yes. who is getting the more... <laughs> completely irritated at the time. And they always have, like, a sense of knowing when the other person is getting too irritated and, like, stepping in for them and, like, knowing when it's not appropriate. It's, like, yeah. really relationship-building for them. Yeah, yeah. Which is, like, a huge threat of the story as well, I believe. A good shared experience. One of the one of the things is that Osgood, like, keeps talking down at Emmett because he's, like, an uncultured blacksmith, even when 
Dr. Brown is like, oh, no, actually, I have two doctorates and, like, a variety of other degrees from various institutions. <laughs> yeah, and at the point he emphasizes, like, I'm a doctor. It's like Dr. Brown. But right. then, like, he never, like, brings that up again, and nobody ever calls him Dr. Brown. Everybody calls him Mr. Brown. No. Yeah, well. Yeah. I, it's like he gets, the author tries to describe him getting pushed to this point of wanting to, like, emphasize things, but then he can't always back everything up because he's from the future. Right. So most of the time he just he's just to... humble about it and swallows it, but every yeah. so often he's just like, eh, but, you know, and it, we all have those moments, right? Where we try to prove we're not from the future, but we still know stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back at the field trip, uh, the one who has to save his life from the quicksand is obviously uh, Emmett, and, like, you know, various physics and wading in and grabbing who's involved, and Osgood immediately, like, proves himself to be, like, a total coward who cannot follow simple directions, like, grab onto that rope or whatever. It keeps flailing and sinking further. Yeah. But but they drag him out, and he's so humiliated by that experience, like, Seamus McFly's making fun of him, too, and, you know, uh, all that. He's so humiliated by that that he engineers, like, the pettiest little incident on the way back. He, like, arranges for one of the wheels to fall off of the wagon because one of the, like, things that holds the wheels in place comes off. What, what's that called? Uh, they have I should know this morning trail. I think you got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah things that hold <laughs> yeah, the wheels things on. that hold the wheel in place, right? Axle. Well, anyway, it's a metal component, so buffalo. he's going to try to... Buffalo. buffalo that's yeah. what it's called. Oregon Trail, right? Uh, buffalo. Yeah. He's trying to blame it on Emmett, which is just... Uh. Yoke? Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, you repaired the wagon. Clearly you didn't do a very good job. And, and then, of course, he mysteriously finds it, and he feels very smug, and he feels like he impressed you know, Clara, with his observation and ability to remain cool under pressure Mm -hmm. when everybody sees right through him. And then there's kind of, it kind of goes on from there. Were there any other incidents that were actually memorable? It kind of goes on for a long time. It goes on for a while. And it's always, it's kind of a redundant pattern of, like, at first it's him committing deliberate sabotage and them holding it over his head because they know but they don't want to expose him and they keep doing that and then it's him making little mistakes after that when he's in the classroom he keeps messing up because he thinks he can do the children's experiments better yeah mm-hmm. like he lights the hot air balloon on fire oh he replaces the the vinegar with water because they're going to do vinegar and baking soda yeah. and he thinks for some reason he goes and he drinks a cup of vinegar and his first thought is oh a child prankster has replaced water with vinegar to play a prank so i'm gonna get the prankster by putting water back in the cups weirdest thought process ever like and it's all because he never read the lesson plans he was supposed to read so it's just a series of mishaps and bubbles bumbles on his part and i think the primary character trait the author is trying to establish is that he just cannot sit back and not be involved in what's going on and also can't follow directions well that too but, like, he can't stand it if, like, someone else is going to be the center of attention and he does not have a role. Yeah. And that's going to be, you know, plot relevant in our, in our finale, of course. At this point, I'd like to interrupt the fanfic's parade of humiliations of Osgood to talk about one thing that I liked that was very Back to the Future, which was this heavy foreshadowing for something that would be important later in the story, namely sewing machines. Hmm. And it's just very Back to the Future to, like, seed something in that is clearly foreshadowing because the author wouldn't be putting it there otherwise. Anyway, uh, Doc Brown has needed to be repairing someone's sewing machine several times over the course of this fanfic. Mm -hmm. And the fanfic is called A Stitch in Time. So so as a reader, I was just waiting, like, uh what about sewing machines could possibly be relevant? (laughs) Check out sewing machine? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And you know, 
it's not quite as clever as original Back to the Future in having like a bunch of different things that are immediate foreshadowing. Though, I don't know if clever is the exactly the right word to describe original Back to the consistent, Future. Consistent, maybe? Yeah, consistent. Like, I mean, <laughs> it, it had that conversation with like the, whatever it was, guidance counselor at the school where he's like, no McFly has ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, well, history is about to change. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not sure if that's actually clever. It's just dedicated to their yeah. premise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things like, you know, as there's three teachers in the room, we can all kind of relate to this, that, you know, the the foreshadowing, uh, like preparing a lesson, you know, you give the preview of what you, or you ask mm-hmm. the kids what you think they're going to see before right. they do the thing. I think that's what kids' movies really rely on is like, oh, let's make this important so that when it comes in later, you have some sort of preparation, like the repetition reinforces the plot device. If you remind me that all three of your teachers, I'm going to start zoning out when you're talking now. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it, Dom. Everyone already is, don't worry. (laughs) Dom is my least favorite student. (laughs) It has a great potential. (laughs) Speaking of teachers. Class clown. Speaking of teachers and losing interest, uh, because the whole science special week does not amount to anything, uh, at the last minute, Osgood tries to set up one last chance to have a romantic uh, uh, opportunity with Clara. And and how do you think this will go? <laughs> badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she likes astronomy, apparently. Um, and he convinces her to, like go do an astronomy thing out on a place where it's good to view the stars that is going to become private property very soon or something, mm-hmm. like no longer be accessible to the public. And he'll write it up as an article and draw some attention to the issue. And she's like, no, no, <laughs> no. And he says, you can bring anyone you want. You can bring one of your friends in town. You can bring like, you know, any woman you know. You can bring your fiance. And she's like, okay, fine. Like, this is, because very soon they're going to go and, you know, get their rings off a trip to town and hopefully that'll get him off her back. And very soon he will be no longer her superior. So it's like one last thing just to, you know, satisfy him. One, one last the, work function. The yeah. funniest part about it to me was like, basically what she ends up deciding is like one more trip with him in exchange for him sitting in on the class for like the rest of the week or whatever. But... He, she also has just thrown him out of the lessons, but it's his plea, like, my editor is going to be so mad, and she's familiar with Mr. Gale, the, the editor of the newspaper, and she's like, she just kind of feels bad for him, I guess, because it's funny what she says, and she's like, oh, well, I guess it's a fair exchange. If I just give him this one thing, I won't have to put up with him through the rest <laughs> of the week, but she's already thrown him out. So it's kind of like this weird hinge thing where it's like, oh, she obviously feels some amount of empathy for him. It's not her responsibility that he has not been doing no, his job and actually not. writing anything about the classes. And it's never really addressed that's not her responsibility, but that's her logic as well. Oh, well the other logic is she is actually genuinely interested in raising public awareness of this uh, like spot for stargazing yes. that she likes. Like She actually would like an article in the paper about it that would maybe you know, help keep it available for stargazing. And she still somehow trusts this, though, despite everything. It's just kind of like, hmm, all right. Yeah, well, she she obviously is not going to go alone with him. She's going to go with Emmett. But she does... How does this end up happening? She sets a time, and she tells both of them about it. And then 
does Osgood a letter or something? She like... has Osgood deliver the message to Emmett mm-hmm. to make Osgood feel important so he won't be so annoying. Yeah, and that was a bad move. Yeah, it was a bad move. Because he comes with the message. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Quite a bit. He comes with the message. And he bludgeons Emmett. Oh, well, that's a couple steps away. That's a couple steps away. <laughs> he comes with the message and Basically, tells... Basically, that's... that's right. He messes, he tells Emmett to meet him like a half an hour earlier or something. Right, at, like, a, at like this, like, un, like this more isolated... No, don't they go together to the isolated, yeah, like... Yeah, he says, we're, we're going to meet earlier at the abandoned farmhouse over there. This is like the farmhouse that's going to be, like... Torn down or, or maybe like actually, maybe he doesn't tell them where they're going. Maybe he just says no, he, they're going to meet earlier or something. He, he, he says they're going to meet there instead. Yeah. Oh, like, we're going to yeah. meet there. We're going to meet earlier. She changed the time for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And she and changed he, the location like, because it's an easier landmark to find in the dark. And then it's like, that doesn't sound quite right. And, but Osgood says, well, I, I got this message. Like, you can confirm it if you want. Right. He's like, and, you can see the letter if you want to. And, and like... And so he just totally bluffs his way past yes. because it's like, no, whatever, fine. So that's proving that Osgood has one skill, and I think that's bluffing because he's bluffed his way through all of this so far, despite the fact they've caught him at every turn, sabotaging them and messing things up. They're like, oh, okay, I guess. Clara believes him about this. Emma believes him. You know? He definitely wrote his essays in college, having looked up one fact in the dictionary and then just padded it out with all of his like, you know, little tricks, larger fonts. That's how, he, that's how he got started as a reporter. <laughs> yeah. So making stuff up. He must be a semi-competent reporter, given that his superior is supposed to be kind of strict about it, though. I know, and that's what always confuses me. Is like, he must have some skill or something good about him, you know? Like we were talking about earlier. There must be something people like about him, but then it never comes up that there actually is. So, so now the bludgeoning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it seems like he's, like, done this before, and, like, he does it again <laughs> later in the story, and it's, like, how... It seems like he, he knows how to do it to not kill a person or something, like... Well, it's definitely it's, movie rules, isn't like it? There's a technique, per se. But it's like, it's, like, he's certain that, like, it'll just keep them out of the way for, temporarily and not actually, like, damage them permanently, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think Amato's right about movie rules, though, because hitting someone in the head and having them pass out, <laughs> there's usually a large chance they're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like, people just passing out from a head injury and Bleeding being fine is not really right. ever a thing. But in the movies, it is. So that's why I would like to let it pass. I see. In this case, he meets Emmett in, like, by the, the abandoned farmhouse. Or I think in this case, like, he kind of meet, goes there beforehand, and Emmett, like, goes in to look for him. And then he, like, ambushes Emmett from behind, hits him over the head, like, knocks him down into this, like, ruined cellar where the stairs are broken. Kills him. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of the story. (laughs) He absorbs his essence and takes on his appearance. (laughs) Because a blow to back to somebody's head would kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In in fact, Emmett's even conscious. It's so cinematic. (laughs) Emmett's even conscious enough for him to shout down, like, I didn't want to do this, but you two have been so unreasonable in not giving me a chance to mack on Clara. And, like, I've been forced to this by your unreasonableness. And, you know, then he gets to fall unconscious. Mm. Emmett, that is. Not Osgood yet. Yes. And then he goes and meets uh, Clara. Mm -hmm. And this, this stargazing site is, like, kind of at the edge of a cliff. And this is the most, the most uncomfortable scene yeah, in the whole Yeah, really thing. nervous. Like I was wondering how far they were gonna take it. It's this, genuinely is, this is where tough. I was thinking of that. Like, 
he didn't actually use his power dynamic as much as like he could mm-hmm. have. He kind of does here, though. He pulls he pulls it out, doesn't he? But I mean, like I don't know. They're alone. I was kind of expecting her. He, to, he pulls like, out the power dynamic, know. right? Yeah, there's so a lot of things yes. that you expected, like yeah. you said, Serena, that that didn't end up happening, which I'm grateful for. And it was nice that they established early on that he was cowardly, I guess. Yeah, because you're right. That, that kind of might explain it. A little okay. less nervous, I guess. I yeah. felt less nervous, but it definitely becomes him alone with Clara, and there is a lot of anxiety around that. It's pretty uncomfortable as it is. Like, she went, the author, I mean, went fairly far with this. Mm-hmm. He... How does this start exactly? <laughs> yeah, then what is the chain of events? I blocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> Something where, like, she's trying to, like, get away from him or, like, pack up her stuff or something, and then he knocks the telescope yes. over the cliff or yeah. something. And, and he's just been getting agitated because he's like, you never even gave me a chance. And she's like, I'm not obligated like, to give you a chance. Stop being a nice guy And kind guy of like, person. yeah, like, what do you see in Emmett? Like, I could give you a much better life kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, uh, like, how could you be so simple to <laughs> want something else? Or Right, right. I don't know. And, you know, he even kind of confesses, like, it's not that I'm into you. It's just that, like... You're, you're the best one. You're right. the best oh, option yeah. I've got. <laughs> that was the funniest part is, like, he's at his wit's end and he's finally, like, you know, you're right. I'm not in love with you, but you're better than anyone else I could pick to uh, bear my children. She's just, like, shocked. She's, like... Right. Um, I can't believe you just said... Confess that. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't seem to pay it any mind. He's like, this is my logic. It stands, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But then you're right. He is kind of physically, like, kind of um, advancing on her. She kind of has to back up. Right. The telescope gets knocked over. Yes. And then what and then exactly? Somehow, I think he, somehow he ends up knocking her over as well. Just in the... Yes. There's that a struggle. He's an act... Right. I think she's catching it, and he's like, oh, no, let me, because he still, like, can't accept that anybody else can do something significant. She still keeps saying, let me deal with the telescope, and every time he touches it, he sort of drops it or messes it up, and she's trying to catch it, and he's trying to catch it, and I think in him trying to catch the falling telescope, he pushes it and her over the cliff. Right. Mm -hmm. And she, because this is a movie in, (laughs) in written form, lands on a small ledge some ways down the cliff. And, Which is a know. compliment, can I say, that this is just like a Back to the Future movie. It right really before. is. Yeah. I, yeah, I felt that more and more. Saving her in the same way, even, like, like her, like, falling, right? Yeah, the, the kind of final action scene that this is leading to felt very Back to the Future mm-hmm. to me. Like, it's not a fight. It's kind of a fight against extremely dangerous circumstances. I guess in Back to the Future 2, he's kind of chasing older Biff, but, like... The real danger is not that, like, older Biff is punching him. It's that, like, they're on a moving train and, like, that kind of the, thing. The, the hoverboard chase, exactly. Right, the hoverboard, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the first movie, it is the whole clock tower thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the third movie, it's the whole deal with the train. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what this is leading into with the cliff shenanigans is, like, a very Back to the Future way to end the movie. Uh, I mean, the fanfic. <laughs> so she she gets knocked on the side of the cliff and he just leaves her there. Yeah, there's a really uncomfortable scene where she's like, "Help me." <laughs> um, but also, like, he doesn't have any tools with him anyway. Like, uh, what yeah. can he really do yeah. in sing with her? He has to go and get help. Uh, that's true, but there's also yeah, a weird he, 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 part. Here's what he says: like, she's saying, "Like, help me! I'm trapped down on the rocks, and you know he's the only person up there. Uh, you have to find a way to help me out of here." Prescott swallowed uneasily as he considered that request. I can't. 
There was a world of horrified exasperation in Clara's answering, Why not? Because the edge of the bluff is crumbling apart, I don't have a rope, and if I go back to town and ask for help, help, they're going to want to know what happened. I can't tell them that. I'll look like a cat and a complete fool. Not to mention the fact that he'd have to explain why Emmett had left with him, but somehow hadn't made it to the bluff. It was the most awful display of abject cowardliness the teacher had ever heard, and she'd heard many schoolboy attempts to avoid blame and save face. But it's uncomfortable because he's literally the only chance that she has, and so she has yeah. to be like, I won't tell them if you won't. Go get help. Go get a rope. Would you like just her? And it's weird, too. Clara's reaction is it's interesting, like, that she's just like, well, I... Well, it's an abject display of cowardliness. Like, it's kind of been leading up to this point. And, it, yeah. It, well, it, she just has no choice. He's the only person who can I help know. up there. It, it's just such a funny... It's a funny scene in a way. Like, it feels so uncomfortable, like you it's said. It's uncomfortable. Because her reaction is like, he's a coward rather than like, shoot, I'm gonna die because of this man. Like, it, it specifies horrified exasperation. Exasperation? Like, I'd be more like, oh, I'm about to die. Like, her horror is more at his cowardliness than it is at her imminent doom. Like, maybe like, it's one of those things where she doesn't want to think about it. Yeah. So she's thinking about yeah. the yeah. more immediate thing as so opposed step to... step one, step two. Sure, yeah. yeah. It's, just a, it's just a strange scene to me, I suppose. And as cowardliness is now his defining characteristic by this point in the fanfic, mm-hmm. the author gives us this paragraph to explain why he's doing what he's doing. Though he was too cowardly to attempt a rescue on his own, Prescott was also too cowardly to leave her there. If she fell to her death, he could say that it had been an accident, of course, but he didn't have the courage to attempt quite so brazen a lie. Seeing her suggestion as the only possible face-saving way out, he stumbled down the hill, clambered onto his horse, and spurred it in the direction of the abandoned farm, which is where he's going to look for some rope. And so, yeah, it it firmly establishes, if it wasn't established before, that face saving like his cowardliness isn't in just the face of his survival but his reputation Mm -hmm. even at the expense of someone else's survival so it really puts him at the lowest of low kind of yeah yeah, which makes his comeuppance so much more sweet successfully establishing him as pretty much scum Mm -hmm. he heads back to the farmhouse but in an extended scene that is a little bit less interesting Emmett has managed to climb out of the basement even though it was very dark and he is very old and well, sixty-seven. Right? They even talked about him doing this sort of like yeah. echolocation thing, with like figuring out how big the like the wall, it like the room was. Yeah, well, and it said he'd spent he had experience because he blinded himself in an experiment and spent a couple months with bandages over his eyes. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff. It's also funny though because like, oh shoot, I forgot exactly what I was gonna say. Oh well, moving on. I remember at some point in the fanfic. I don't remember if it's right here. um Emmett having an internal thought about Osgood, where it's like, mm, that guy's 30 years younger than me, but I could still totally beat him up. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Is that it's at this, that reminds me, is this point in the fan fiction that it's established that Emmett, and they've implied this before, is like really strong yeah. physically, mm-hmm. like super strong. Well, he's like a blacksmith. He's a blacksmith, yeah, sure, sure. which some totally muscle, explains right? it. It takes a ton of muscle. like, uh, But like, he is getting up after being knocked out and having a headache and everything, and he still manages to, like, physically... I think he... Like, I don't remember if he physically tussles with Osgood or something. Yeah, he, 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 he socks him as soon as Osgood heads back yeah. to the house. <laughs> and Osgood has this, like, um, this reflection of, like, he's not. he wasn't sure if it was the blacksmith's um, 
incredible rage at the situation when he realizes Clara is in danger or if he just really was that strong. (laughs) And then he says, considering the blow he just had on the head and that he's just woken up, he thinks it was the former or the latter, that he was just that strong. Mm -hmm. And that was like, Mm -hmm. it was interesting. He's like just super physically strong. All right. Emmett manages to pry out of Osgood what has happened and they grab rope, they grab the horse and, you know, he... He's disgusted with Osgood, but, like, the first order of business is to save Clara's life. Yeah. So they head back to the cliff. always seems to be the case, right? Like, they're disgusted with him, but there's something else to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What also often seems to be the case is Clara being in life-threatening circumstances. Mm -hmm. And when she's down at the cliff, at one point she's musing, does the universe just want me dead because I'm not supposed (laughs) to be alive anymore in this time? Sort of Final Destination sort of a vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I thought that was a really kind of clever thought to put out there. Yeah. But... Apparently, it's not true, given that she manages to survive for, like, seven years in the past well, without dying horribly. who knows how many other uh, near-death <laughs> escapes she's had, and Emma has rescued her. She, she's pretty fed up with having near-death escapades, though. She yeah. comments on it a couple of times. She does. And that's, a, a in the end, where they decide to go back to the future. Ooh. Title because, drop. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll cover that. But because she wasn't meant to be alive in that time. Mm-hmm. In her yeah, case, they mentioned in the epilogue, yeah. Mm-hmm. In her case, it's just to the future, though. Because she was never there in the first place. True. Well, you can never be in the future. You're always in the present. Mm-hmm. Very deep. <laughs> Don't stop messing up the title. Back to the present. Doesn't have the same ring. Is it a Christmas story? That was last <laughs> week. The ghost of... Wait. Back to the... Pre- no, no. Emmett tries to climb down on a rope or, like extend a rope, but the particular circumstances of the cliff, which are very contrived, and I've already blocked them out, <laughs> prevent that from working. They the, say it's like drywall, and if you poke it a bunch of times, it's going to crumble. And then also it's like the storm's coming, and it's starting to rain, yeah. and it's going to like be like a mudslide or something. The There's biggest tension in that scene when they're first trying is that like Osgood's up there with the horse that the rope is tied to, and I was pretty sure that he was going to let Emmett drop also, but yeah. in the end, that doesn't happen. Um, and instead they head back to town and they're trying to figure out, you know, they tell all the, the town and everyone's brainstorming a way to try to save Clara off of this cliff before the storm hits. Yeah. And they, they tell, do they tell the townspeople <laughs> what and, happened? Uh, yeah, basically. And, you know, Osgood tries to frame it differently, but everyone kind of knows his Oh, jig. yeah, yeah. His jig. They don't say that Osgood did it, but, um, there's a point at which... Uh, Emmett brainstorms an idea, mm-hmm. and Osgood's really against it. He thinks his idea, which is to scale the cliff on his own and bring her down, somehow he thinks he can do that. He was like, someone in, I had a college friend who yeah. used to mountain climb, and he told me how to do it, so I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's nothing that can go wrong here. Yeah, so he thinks that's the best idea, which is just fascinating because he's been such a coward before, but also has such a high opinion of himself. It seems like there's this instance of, like, recognizing in his characterization that he's just, um, what's the word? Like, he doesn't have the right sense of reality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, like, well, he's yeah. obviously qualified. He has has a secondhand mountain climbing story mm-hmm. experience, so. Yeah, and right. a, like, Harvard degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then the main point is that he wants to knock Emmett's idea down, and he yeah. legitimately yeah. thinks it's ludicrous. Now, Emmett's idea, let's pull yeah. back the curtain a little bit here. Dom, you did not get this far in the fanfic. No. <laughs> so, speaking as a school teacher with a teacher's license, mm-hmm. given the title, 
and the foreshadowing of sewing machines, what do you think Emmett's idea is to get Clara down from the cliff? Ah, he kills Osgood with the sewing machine and smack him in the head. (laughs) (laughs) And Clara is magically transported off the cliff because when you kill the person who tried to kill you, you are saved. (laughs) Well, black magic might be involved. It might be, yeah. yeah. They they, they stitch together a a bunch of bedsheets. And into... A rope? <laughs> no, Dom missed the other part of foreshadowing that happened. What's oh, that? that's right. One of the science experiments that they did during uh, the science week. Yes. Uh, it's a, it was a, a baking soda volcano. <laughs> they did do that one, but it was a different one. <laughs> no, this one is... Something involving hot air. Oh, a hot, hot air balloon? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Uh, now, the only material that they can think of in town that would actually hold hot air is silk. So they kind of raid everybody's stashes of silk and, you know, silk dresses and that kind of thing. Yeah. And at the very least, Emmett convinces Osgood to foot the bill for this, mm-hmm. because otherwise he will tell everybody that he knocks yes. Clara off of that cliff. So, yeah, Osgood's like, my plan's better, my plan's better, and then he's like, doesn't want to pay for the other plan. That's still a crime, right? Are you still extorting somebody? Yeah, probably. Yeah, but... Yeah, but <laughs> you know what's something that doesn't cross his mind, but I feel like it should have at some point? I, I kind of thought that one of the reasons they were trying to treat this guy with kid gloves <laughs> is Emmett not wanting to mess up the future. Mm. But that thought never actually crosses his mind, as far as I remember. No, not not explicitly. They, they kind of gave up the idea when they saved Claire in the third movie, I That's think. That's true. Yeah. I, I think, well, but Emmett still focuses a lot in this on not wanting to mess up the future, but yeah, not around Prescott. Mm-hmm. But I, it feels like they treat him with like, the reason they describe of treating him with kid gloves is just because they think that's the only way to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And yet, that never really works out. They think he'll be more vengeful if they tell him off directly. Yeah. Even though, you know, towards the end, Clara I mean, slaps him once that, and punches him. And, that actually yeah. does happen, though, right? When he... Nobody listens to his plan, so he goes off to do it himself. Right. He goes mm-hmm. to, like, the store to get these, like, railroad spikes or something he's going to use to yeah. climb the wall. And, and yes, and yeah. he uses, once again, one of his only two established skills, which yes. is hitting what, people over the head. <laughs> but because the store owners called him a fool. Well, yeah, the, the store, he's like, I just need some of your railroad spikes, my good man. And he's like, what are you going to do with those? He's like, I'm going to do my plan of climbing up the wall because everybody's all set on this darn fool making a hot air balloon which mm-hmm. doesn't even work scientifically and <laughs> yeah. the sort of was like I am not going to sell you those railroad spikes you delusions are going to kill yourself and probably also Clara the, the term I was looking for is delusions of grandeur oh, yeah, yeah. that's his main character point is that he despite everything that has right, just happened to him hero. and all his failures he thinks his plan will work better and theirs will not Right. Despite yeah. everything. You still probably should have sold the railroad specs. It, it wouldn't have worked anyways. Well, no, well, no, no, no. About There's the a reason. integrity of the wall. Yeah. That if he starts poking into cliff. it, it will all collapse. The and that will also cause Clara to fall. At the bottom. So they then, really don't want him to start poking into it with spikes. Of- <laughs> uh, well, yes. It's so ambiguous. And you know, it's funny because I was going to point out there's so much science-y, science-like stuff in this, mm. just like Back to the Future. Right. <laughs> Even science metaphors, like comparing things to um, helium and um, what's that explosive gas with an N? Never mind. Methane? No, not that 
one, but that's all right. Um, it's so many sciencey metaphors and so much scientific pseudoscience. Like, yeah. this wall is somehow going to crumble if anyone pokes into it, is what they mainly say. Yeah, they try to establish it. I My mind glazed over the details because I was just like, okay, I understand the plot-relevant pro- properties yeah. of this cliff. <laughs> and, you know, at the very least, the bad science feels, like you said, Tori, like back to the future bad science. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it all fits. And so there's a extremely cinematic race against time to get this balloon going and get it down before the storm. And the storm does kind of hit, and they have to deploy it early also because they see Prescott Osgood climbing up the cliff from down below. And there's just this whole series of movie finale action scene events. I, I'm not sure I have their order right in my mind, but... I mean, I, I didn't read it, but you can't climb up a sheer wall in the in the almost rain like that so he probably only made it like a couple feet well and he was down, gonna right? drive the spikes <laughs> no, into the wall up. for purchase but the thing is is that hauling yourself by your arms it would be too much yeah. like he would have to have some purchase with his feet <laughs> I don't he, know. he ends up almost falling and he uses like a grappling hook to grab on the only thing he can see which is like clara's you know little Her shelf but then oh, yeah. it hooks onto her coat <laughs> hooks onto her coat and then like yeah. yeah we don't even know where he got that from <laughs> Yeah. Well, commissioned it, right? <laughs> it's his bat grappling hook. He commissioned it for his <laughs> Osgood Enterprises. Oh, no, wait. Isn't Osgood the last name of the penguin? Yeah. It all ties together. <laughs> Ancestor. Hmm. Then he was back to New York. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, back to the East Coast. Back to Gotham. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, the grappling hook is in... <laughs> grappling hook? The grappling hook is in her coat, and so, like, he's hanging by her, mm-hmm. and she's almost going to fall, but, like, they almost grab her with the the hot air balloon. It's just a whole bunch of stuff. Right, and, and Emmett goes in the hot air balloon. It seems like originally it was just supposed to be an empty hot air balloon that she was supposed to grab onto, but, of course, he has to dive yeah. into right. the, the fray. To catch her in the nick of time. Right, and, and then hold her tightly. And, like, he has to call up to somebody. I I guess it must be Seamus, right? Because it's always Seamus. He's, like, the named person. Mm -hmm. To shoot the balloon with a shotgun. Right, because it needs to go lower. Right, and he has no other way to, like, let air out of it. They didn't have somebody on the ground with it tied to a rope and they just let it up. They didn't have time because they had to hurry. Yeah, they were going from above, I think, right? Yeah. And so, you know, there's a little back and forth where like, won't that kill you? And he's like, no, just shoot the balloon because the small holes that the shot makes in the silk does not let all the air out at once. Um, And, yeah, I I really liked how much it felt like an action scene in a movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they all fall to their death. The end. The end. <laughs> That's how I remember it. <laughs> no, it's... No, it's actually kind of hasty at the end, huh? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously they survive. They all get down. Yeah, it's kind of confusing exactly how that happened. I was unclear at first if Prescott had actually survived because they sh- they kind of demonstrate, like, they don't really show how he's attached. Like, he's apparently attached to Clara through his grappling hook. But it's not super clear. And then, like, Emmett and Clara are on solid ground. And then, like, all of a sudden Prescott pops up. And you're like, oh, okay, well, no, he made he, it. He but... had fallen earlier separately. Oh, um, it's just, okay. It's just obviously, because it's that kind of story. Very, yeah, that was confusing okay. to me. I don't know if I just didn't read it closely enough. But... Landed in soft things. Yeah. Landed in mud or something. Yeah, something <laughs> like that, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Needs to get slimed as many times as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... His ultimate terrible Back to the Future villain fate of social humiliation mm-hmm. happens at the end. Um, 
They all, they all give him the, they, they say they give him the collectively the cold shoulder. The whole town is there, and he's going off on how reckless Emmett was to be doing this crazy plan. And, you know, mm-hmm. finally, Clara just punches him. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then doesn't, like, Emmett also punch him? I think they both. And then they, at one point, they punch him together. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> they have a, a choreographed, coordinated <laughs> yeah. punch. It was, like, as if it was choreographed. Yes. They punched him together. But then he fell down to the sound of a slide whistle? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, what's that scream? The Wilhelm scream? Wilhelm scream. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think in this case. But, you know, the whole rest of the town just kind of, like, applauds politely. Yeah, they cheer. Well, they cheer. Yeah. They cheer, like, yeah. You know, they, they're on their side as opposed to us, good side. Yeah. And um, I think in the epilogue, doesn't he, like, move move away into the big city or yes. something, like San Francisco or something? Yes. He goes up north. Yeah. Seattle. Oh, yeah. oh Seattle. Yes. Yeah, Prescott leaves, and um, Clara and Emmett construct their time machine and have children, and it's a little well, bit Well, right? we don't get all of that happening in the fanfic. No, after no, that, no, no, no. After no, that main plot is re- resolved, and Clara has Emmett promise that next time she gets to save his life, then yes. we jump forward to the epilogue. Because right? he's oh, a scientist, not a stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> he's doctor, apparently He's both. a doctor, not a stuntman. That's, yeah. I, I kind of appreciate making him into an action doctor, like... He seems like he's in good shape. It's in the tone of the movies. Yeah, exactly. I was really trying to find a good science metaphor that they used, or like pseudoscience-y metaphor, but um, the only thing I have found so far is that Emmett um, felt like he wanted to um, kick Osgood into hyperdrive and send him into orbit around the sun, (laughs) which... Isn't the most sciencey thing they said, but also there's a lot of just flavor like that. that Yeah. Yeah. Are you saying that's not what happens when you go into hyperdrive, Tori? I'm not. How much do you know about physics? What hyperdrive is, other than in Star Wars? Well, I'm sure Doctor Brown knows a lot more than you about hyperdrive. It's well, probably well, key maybe to time travel. He can but tell yeah. Emmett how to use it properly. But Clara and Emmett frequently think very sciencey metaphors in their brains. <laughs> but they're all kind of really simple, like about explosive materials and how much they want something to explode. <laughs> like Osgood's face. Okay, at the very end, there's an epilogue. And it's not exactly related to the story. It's just an extra bit, I guess, of information. And it seems like it's going to lead into, like, another story. Yeah. This author wrote a lot of Back to the Future stories, and they're all in the same continuity. So it does seem like this might just be kind of a lead-in or a tag or whatever you call it, teaser. It's not exactly, yeah. you can't quite call it a cliffhanger. Kind of like, like the, the first chapter of the next book. Yeah, that you read that at the end of, of a book. Yeah. And they talk about that they went back to 1990, they had hoped it was 100 years after, but they couldn't do it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know, they talk about, like, Doc, like, traveling to a couple places to check out the, the right time <laughs> to go back. Like, I don't understand how that worked. That was an interesting bit of information yeah. there. It was a little confusing. They've decided to go live in the future because neither of them are supposed to be in the past. And also... It, and it also says Doc had promised Marty that they would be back, mm-hmm. you know, just like yeah, but to be part of yeah. Marty's life again, it looks like. And specifically for his college graduation. But then one right. wonders how they have contacted him. Like how they, they must know have about come the back at a previous time. And why didn't mm-hmm. they choose to stay then? There's well, a lot of questions. He mentions having gone back and forth some to set up what's happening. Right. They, but they've what, gotten, what does that setup entail? But like, wouldn't, isn't that kind of dicey to be going back and forth? So like, Well, you they know? also specifically mention that they didn't want to go back and forth too many times 
like within spans of years while Clara was still pregnant with their third child and with their two other children being the same age because that would look suspicious. But it's like, why would you need to do that to begin with? Mm. Like there was no explanation of that. Like we specifically came back and decided to stay because it'd be too weird to jump back and forth in time. Like why would you be jumping back and forth in time anyway? Yeah, I don't get that part either. Well, the main thing is that Doc has engineered it such that he bought the old farmhouse where he almost got killed that later got renovated by that person who had bought the land into like mm-hmm. a really nice mansion. So it's like a familiar landmark. It's it's now yeah. run down and kind of a fixer-upper, mm-hmm. but it's remained unchanged or whatever. Um, and Clara seems to be fine with going to the future where women can wear pants. <laughs> that's that sold her. Um, How's California? They might want to wear shorts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. And of course, we know they've got two boys from the end of Back to the Future, right? Jules and Vern. Jules and Vern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they just decide to add an extra kid just for funsies, I guess, mm-hmm. for being pregnant. And they don't say anything more about that. And I guess that's supposed to also be a teaser for the next one. I suppose so. Okay, so, yeah, it starts out with, though he would have preferred to return to Hill Valley precisely 100 years after he'd left, thus leaving no strange and synchronous inconsistencies with his son's apparent versus their real ages. Doc had promised Marty that he and his family would be back permanently in time for the lad's graduation from college on June the 10th. So I guess what one is supposed to assume that 100 years, because it one hundred years after would be after Marty's college graduation, so he's trying to come. No, one hundred years back would be before nineteen eighty-five, which is where the original movie takes place, where they return back. No, to no, it. no. I think he's saying one hundred years after he left. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. So it's quite confusing. Why would he promise Marty to come back so late? Why wouldn't he want to come back early? So in time for his graduation, in time for being early doesn't imply you're not in time for it. That's what it, was confusing. It wasn't me. communicated clearly, but I have faith that hardcore Back to the Future fans have thought out this these yeah. time details more I than just, I care yeah. to. I just thought that was kind of strange. Like, it seemed like what he was implying is that it, he would have been too late, but there's no way in which he would have been too late if it was 100 years before, so. Mm. Or after, whatever. Anything else anyone wants to say about the epilogue, though? But the ending of the third movie is canon in the story, right? Absolutely. With the flying train? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is their time machine. And, like, this place that they bought even has a barn where they can hide it in. And I... Yeah. Um, that I was their explanation. It, it seems like going back and forth in time in a train <laughs> might be a little bit harder than, in like, in a car or a flying car. It's just bigger and usually needs tracks. Does their time machine need tracks? No. Doesn't the, movie, the train doesn't fly? Did we train fly? It, it appears on the, on the tracks, but then later it has super jets and flies off in the sky. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the and, train does fly as well. And I believe, I forget my Back to the Future 3, but Doc had the had a wrecked DeLorean to work with, right? For mm-hmm. components. Mm-hmm. And then he also just said, well, okay, I'm going to need to get some other stuff here in the past and just fashion the things well, that are missing. Initially, it seemed like he would never be able to get the components. And this fanfiction says that as well. But I guess he figured it out. Well, initially... They had the the time travel device ran on a Mister Fusion, which could uh, turn anything into energy. So the problem was getting the DeLorean to run. So they needed yeah. um, refined gasoline, which was the problem. Yeah. So if they had enough time, they actually I read something where they talked about how at at that point they actually did have gasoline as a kind of a useless byproduct that they easily could have gotten mm. gotten if they wanted. <laughs> but wait, that's that's the DeLorean that Marty came back in, right? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. another mm-hmm. wrecked one that Doc came back in, right? 
Am I wrong? How did how did that third movie happen? There is a wrecked DeLorean that stays in the past. I thought there was. I'm having a hard time recalling how that happened. It stays in a oh, cave and they unearth it later in order to come back to that point in the past. Yeah, I just don't remember where a copy of the DeLorean came from, but, yeah, I, but I'm sure it all ties to, together very well. So it yeah, uh, Doc's back in the past, um, takes the DeLorean, puts it in a cave. Then in the future, Marty gets that one, gets it working, and takes it back to, to the past. Oh, that's a copy right. Of because oh, Marty okay. comes back to the past to get Doc. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's that it. makes total and sense. And that, that's the DeLorean they retrofit to put in front of a train and then goes back to the present where it gets immediately run over by a train. <laughs> <laughs> so the epilogue is really just a coda kind of saying, <laughs> and yeah, they got a family. They're settling in 1990. They're still happy together. And our cute future reference comes with her saying, like, well, you gave me something Prescott Osgood never could, a future, because yeah. it's Back to the Future and we need to make jokes like that, or <laughs> yeah. vaguely clever wordplay. Um, it's kind of cute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's within a stone's throw of cute. Yeah. And that's the end. <laughs> Yay. It is. Yeah. Is there anything that we wanted to complain about from this fanfic that hasn't come up? Sometimes a typeface in this had some letters kind of close together, and that, was, that wasn't fun. Hmm. <laughs> it is unusual. We don't usually read off of a PDF. I think this is the second time we've done so, and the first was Draco Dormian's. Mm-hmm. I, I, I turn everything into a PDF, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I thought very long solid. clauses. Like, Are just, they? like, really yes. long. Like, sometimes it was, like, hard to follow, almost, like, oh, like sentences, like, really a lot of description and... I was going to ask you for an example, but then I just turned to a random page. (laughs) They're all over. Osgood opened his mouth to deny it, but when nothing came out and he turned white as a sheet, his insouciant arrogance visibly draining away, the inventor knew his presumption had been correct. Yeah, a lot of, like, highfalutin words and a lot of, like, really long sentence structures that sometimes are a little hard to follow. Authors seem to have their own sense of vocabulary. Like I mentioned before, they use puckish very frequent, which is not... Common. There were several other words I picked on like that, yeah, and I'm not saying that was bad. It was it was very give it gave it some sort of character, but it would just mm-hmm. seem to come from. Uh, it kind of reminded me of some of my writing in high school when like I had favorite words, but they were totally weird ones. But I'd use them all the time because they were like cool to me, you know. Yeah, definitely a lot of like obscure words in there that you yeah. don't come across otherwise. Like as if the author had used a thesaurus and seized right. on their favorite words, and like at least that's. I used to do when I was a kid, but... I'm glancing through this fanfic and just ran into a puckish Tori. <laughs> I feel like you notice frequently used words more than we tend to. Oh, yeah. And it must be because you're listening to it. Well, I would no, imagine. no, 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 no. I, I don't, I don't think that's more. true because um, one of the major things in being an editor of any sort, like mm-hmm. one of my biggest things is the reuse of words frequently that uh, like you could use a, a synonym for and as a high school English teacher, like, that's a big thing. I've read thousands of essays and had to pick out, hey, you used that word, like, six times. Couldn't mm-hmm. you yeah, that, that's something different? That's definitely a red so that, I've seen It's on my kind pages. of like a pet peeve for <laughs> yeah. me, I guess. Um, not that it necessarily bothers me a lot, but it's easy for me to pick on. Yeah. Not that it necessarily bothers you a lot, but it does. <laughs> it does a little bit. I don't know. I went through years of education just to not repeat the same words all the time. So it's not that it bothers me, like, ideologically, but, like, it's more of a training thing. Like, Mm -hmm. eh, and something I try to teach my students, too, to diversify vocabulary. 
in terms of repetition, I feel like the author establishes some things and then reestablishes them and then reestablishes them a few times, mostly with Osgood. And I mean, it, it works for what she was doing, but I felt like a fair bit of it dragged just because mm-hmm. it's like, I get it. I get what how this guy operates and how terrible he is. Yes. But he needs to like do something dumb and terrible and, you know, pushing it like There's multiple, a fair bit multiple of redundant, times. Redundancy, yeah. I feel like he could have cut out everything after the field trip. Like she could have been fed up with him after Certainly. he was on the field trip and then he didn't need to go to the classroom and do like another several things to like get him in the doghouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was already kind of there. I agree with that. And it's also a point I wanted to bring up is, what did y'all think of the characterization in this story? Like, both of Prescott and also of Emma and Claret, based on... Or Claire. Emma, Emma and Claire. Emma and Claret. Did I say that? All right. Claret. <laughs> Emma. Like a couple names. <laughs> Emma and Claret, <laughs> based on their movie characterizations initially, because... I have a few thoughts, but I want to see what y'all thought about the characterization. I honestly don't really remember Claire's characterization too well. It's been a long time mm-hmm. since I've seen the movie. I can't remember much be- from Doc Brown besides just shouting Great Scott and being wacky. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of them in the story, like, given that? Doc seemed a little bit... I, I think Claire seemed fine from what I remember. Um, I think any difference in her characterization just came mostly from being inside her head, which you're not in the movie, mm-hmm. and from her kind of having more dialogue. Emmett seemed a little bit more keyed in socially than I remembered him being. Like, he, he has the vibe of someone who's maybe not going to be the most astute, like, reader of the room, mm-hmm. and, like, or person who is deft yeah. at, like, getting, s- conveying what he needs to socially. But he's, like, all, he's very comfortable with the townsfolk. He's, he, like is very astute about kind of what Osgood's doing all the time and the implications, and sometimes even on, like, how to redirect him. Mm -hmm. And that just didn't quite jive with what I remember of Mr. Great Scott. Yeah. What did the rest of y'all think about about that? Yeah, Serena, you have seen the movies more than me, especially this one. What do you think about the characterization? Hmm. I don't think I've seen them recently enough to, like, (laughs) notice any peculiarities. Well, I felt like aside from that, like, what did you think of them as characters? I mean, I felt like they were done in good faith, like, like in trying to portray Clara, like, you know, as like having a solid head on her shoulders and Mm. and being interested in things beyond the normal, like, things that a woman is supposed to be interested in, and like having and be able to stand up for herself more than many women would. And I don't know, and with. Emmett, too, they, like, you know, as you said, added in all those, like, great Scots and, yeah. like, damn, and, like, all that stuff. That seemed like the, the flavor was there in the story from the movies. If nothing yeah. jumped out at you as being bad characterization, that's a good sign. That means that it was more or less consistent. Yeah, and reading fan fiction in general, um, something I've had to do is let go of my idea of a characterization to kind of get involved in the um, the author's interpretation of the character. Mm-hmm. And, and Because, like, my towards sensibilities is very much not that that's not the original that's not how it should be but if you think like that you can't get more than a couple of pages into any fan fiction at all mm. yeah so unless it's especially grievous it doesn't really stick out too much in my mind yeah yeah i wasn't necessarily thinking like i do think there was faithfulness here in ways and the same unfaithfulness pointed out about emmett i was always like um he seems too like aware of what's going on and all that stuff 
Um, Very yeah, my main thoughts were like Clara and Emmett were just kind of almost too perfect. Mm-hmm. Was my main critique of the characterization, which is why I asked because. Mm-hmm. I guess they could only be in comparison with Prescott, but in every sense, they were always like, I want to punch him, but I won't. Uh-huh. And it, to me, like, despite the funness of that play, it went on a little too long. Yeah. And they didn't seem to develop as characters. They played off each other nicely. They were good people and they had fun with each other and they hated this guy. He was obviously hateable, but they were at least nice and tolerant with him. But that's kind of basic right like it's like ah basically they are good people with a sense of humor so i kind of felt like the author could have done a little more with that but i see what you mean they're saying that osgood was like the protagonist because he changes the most over the course of the story (laughs) he does but like he he does in a strange way as well like you almost want to follow him more because he at least has more internal conflict whereas they're just like kind of above it all i suppose Uh yeah i see what you mean but on the other hand, what shall we praise about the fanfic, especially stuff that hasn't come up yet? I've, I've gone on several times about saying, like, oh, it's so cinematic in a very satisfying way. Mm-hmm. So I'll shut up about that. I like how the <laughs> author tries to do, like, the accent, like, you know, Seamus McFly's accent, like, mm-hmm. kind of tries to, like, and how it brings in just, like, the different flavor of the characters. So, and, and even, like, the... Vocal quirks, yeah. The In the end, when, like, Emmett's talking with all of the townsfolk it's like you kind of got the sense that they're all there and like there's like this hustle and bustle and there's like this excitement there's anticipation i feel like i don't know the atmosphere just seems like very like warm and like yeah i mean i agree with that i would have liked to see actually like more conflict with like emmett trying to assimilate in this culture but the fact that he has assimilated so well is like the same thing i wanted to pick on with the characters of them being too like nice and okay and not having have internal problems is also very satisfying and comforting. Black Hammond they really like them. Black They're Hat- really likable. But Doc Brown assimilating into this is sort of the funny part because Doc Brown didn't fit in in 1985, 1975. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember thinking that too in the original movie. It's like, wow, he's he really seems comfortable being a like mm-hmm. 19th century blacksmith. Yeah. So maybe that's what the author <laughs> seized upon. So yeah, the characters are just super likable and Prescott's super unlikable, but mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, As intended. Nice. it's very comfortable in that sense. I guess that about wraps it up then. I found it a pretty enjoyable read. And Serena, thanks for giving us an excuse to delve into a fandom that, like, I would not have checked out <laughs> otherwise. Definitely, yeah. It, yeah. Turns out, it turns out there's a fair bit of Back to the Future fanfic out there, though, you know, sure. largely from a couple of, like, really dedicated authors like this one. There's a few others. Not just, not just this person. Um, our next fanfic... We are going back to the post-apocalyptic future of Pokemon, because it's, it's Pokemon Master, um, huh. which if you were a Pokemon fan who read fan fiction back in what, whatever it was, late 90s, you probably saw it, because it was like the fanfic. Um, I don't remember how good it is. I think we'll find out. Hmm. It's very, very long, so we'll see how far everyone gets in it, but I'm trying to commit myself to reading all of it. It's like 270,000 words. Mm. Uh, just so that at least I can convey what happens with it. I've got 500 pages right. in my PDF here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, and we've got, what, a, a week and two days? Yep. All right, well, it's long I'll, enough, I'll right? get cracking on that. It's not like I have a day job or anything. <laughs> I think no matter how far everyone gets, you'll get a taste of what it's like, I mean, having so far, started reading it. So far, I'm just enjoying the, the landing page. It was all dark, and there's lightning all, all over, and reappropriated anime art that's 
with the character's hair they're black instead, so they're all emo. Yeah, the second oh, one is from the yeah. Sailor Moon manga. Oh. Pitch Dark Pikachu. <laughs> if I can give a little that spoiler. Is. If I can give a little spoiler. It's beautiful. Pitch Dark Darkness Pikachu turns into a katana of darkness. Oh man. It is that kind Wait. of fan fiction. I'm sorry, did you just say Pikachu turns into a katana? A, of darkness, yes. Well, yeah, because like, according okay. to this... Of darkness, um, yeah, okay. That's the least of my concerns <laughs> in that situation. Yeah, according to this art here, it looks like the main character is uh, a Rony Kenshin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it should be a good time. As uh, And you can find it. There's a, a hot link to the... Not a hot link, because it's <laughs> not a website. There is a shortened link to the archived version of the old website, which is where you have to read it. It's on fanfiction.net, but you've got to see the art. That's part of the experience. you got to check it out. It's going yeah. to be bit.ly slash RFR master. There's a, there's a fan art section on it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It was the kind of fanfiction that had fan art. As for this, this was episode 17 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, A Stitch in Time by Mary Jean Holmes. You can find a copy of it on the archived copy of the author, author's personal website, you can reach that via our shortened link at bit.ly slash RFR time. Uh, the intro song for this fanfic is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And we have a Twitter now, which is also retrofanfic. And I, at the very least, put up the new episodes on the Twitter. <laughs> right. That's what's happening there. Good job, Mato. Thank you. We're really proud of you. You've done That's really well. the extent of my social media skills. Um, I do come up with one extra quip in the description for each Twitter link. If you have questions, <laughs> comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. You can leave those comments on the episodes on our website you can apparently tweet at us i think that's a thing you can do now we, correct we, we need to figure out a hashtag for ourselves too um a hashtag, hashtag retro, retro fanfic that's kind of our thing now does anyone has anyone on. claimed hashtag hashtag there's just a curiosity definitely <laughs> <laughs> moving on you have to go back and retag all those posts then yeah. <laughs> i'm a motto I'm Tori. I'm Dom. And I'm Serena. We're just four Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Okay, we, we love you. Bye. Bye. process oh yeah it's a little free for him huh it's like jazz serena's used to listening to podcasts where they plan things yeah i know you gotta wait your mouth before you excuse me pull plugs we might be the only podcast that doesn't plan things no you're definitely not i just don't listen to i don't really listen